What's good, everyone? Welcome back to the Bucks Film Room Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sampson, and you can find me on Twitter at Bucks Film Room. I write about the Milwaukee Bucks for Brew Hoop and Forbes Sports. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, wherever wherever else you listen. Just search for the Brew Hoop feed and you can find the Bucks Film Room podcast under there. We come out every Thursday morning, so make sure to continue checking in. We really appreciate you guys. So we have less than three weeks until the Bucks tip off their preseason schedule against the Chicago Bulls on October 7th. I'm excited for some basketball. Really, we've run out of a lot of things to talk about here this summer, even though it's been a shortened summer from Bucks fans, you know, you know, with Milwaukee making the Eastern Conference Finals. It still does feel like it's been a long summer, and I'm ready for basketball, and I'm ready to get back into that action. And... This will actually be perfect. Less than three weeks until the Bucks tip off. We have five players yet to break down. We'll do two more today. So that should be able to allow us to get to all five players in a timely manner. While also covering, you know, whatever else comes out of media day and the Bucks opening practices. Because I'm sure there'll be a lot of stuff that will come out of that as well. So today we continue to double up, like I said, and we're going to talk about two veterans on Milwaukee's roster, two guys who have been around for a long, long time, and two guys who I think, you know, the word savviness will come up a lot today when we're talking. And Wes Matthews and George Hill is two of the players that we'll be looking at today. So we'll continue to follow this same format. If you're unfamiliar with it, we'll look at each player's strengths, their weaknesses, and their best and worst case scenarios in the upcoming season. So let's begin by taking a look at Wes Matthews, and let's begin with the basics. So Matthews and the Bucks agreed to a two-year deal worth the veteran minimum, and the second year of that deal is also a player option. So that means he'll earn $2.56 million this season and $2.69 million next season. Of course, Wes grew up in Madison, and he played high school ball at Madison Memorial before, our ten- before attending Marquette, and now he returns to those Wisconsin roots to suit up for the Bucks, and we are glad to have him. So at 32, just about 33 years old in a few weeks, you know, his best playing days, they're behind him. Last year, he played for the Dallas Mavericks and the New York Knicks before settling in with the Indiana Pacers for the final 23 games. Across all three of those teams, he averaged 14.5 points, 2.8 assists, and 2.9 rebounds per 36 minutes while shooting 37.2% from downtown. And that that's one percentage point lower than his career average from the three-point line. So let's jump into this game by looking at his strengths. That three-point shot, you know, that's been a big one all offseason, especially with the Bucks. let it fly mantra. We'll see if they continue with that or if their franchise media department uh, comes up with something new. But that three-point shooting is something that we've been talking about all offseason, and it's a strength of Wes Matthews. He has shown that he can be a really good three-point shooter. His career average is 38.2%. He's had one season over... 40% and a couple more right at like 39%. So he's had some really good seasons shooting the ball from the outside. 
and he can really do it from all over the floor. He can spread that to the corners, which I think will be an important part to the Bucks games to the Bucks game. They didn't really take advantage of that corner three all that often last year. And Wes Matthews is one of those guys who can help them, you know, really spread the whole floor and make defenses pay if they're not going to guard the whole floor. So I think that's really something that is huge. You know, that accuracy that he brings to the team and the volume. The volume is huge. I can't undersell the volume. So last year alone, Wes Matthews took 6.9 threes per 36 minutes. Just to give you a little comparison, Malcolm Brogdon, he only took 4.8 per 36 minutes. So Matthews is taking two extra threes per 36 minutes that he's in the game, which will go a long way, even though he wasn't as accurate as Brogdon. Just the fact that he could still make 37% of his threes by taking two more is really incredible, and it'll really pull defenses closer to him because they know he doesn't. he's not going to hesitate. With Brogdon, teams knew that he has that slow, low release. That's not necessarily the same with Matthews. He has all the confidence in the world to take that shot. He'll shoot it in your face for better or for worse. You know, he will definitely take some head scratchers. There will definitely be some times where like, no, yes, it went in. Or no, 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 bad shot. But overall, he can get that shot off in a hurry. That will be a huge strength for Milwaukee, a really good addition. You know, he also brings this toughness, this, this veteran savviness. There's that word, that savviness. And he'll be a great teammate. You know, he's a fighter. He Not literally, but he just will grind on every possession. And he just brings this toughness. Uh, not that Milwaukee lacked toughness last year because I don't think that they did but he just brings additional toughness you know he'll talk some trash he'll run his mouth and he'll really keep his team focused night in and night out so I think that'll be huge for Milwaukee he can also play the two or the three which is which is a nice addition you know some of the guys on the Bucks roster like Pat Pat Connaughton he's one position only Dante DiVincenzo maybe can stretch to play the three or maybe can stretch to play the one, but he's most comfortable probably at that two. But with Wes Matthews, you got a guy who can play the two or the three, and that's on both sides of the ball. You know, he's strong enough to be able to defend the threes. He's still got a little bit of that quickness left where he can defend the shooting guards, so he can really do that on both sides of the ball. Hey, he even spent 14% of his minutes at point guard with Dallas last year. Don't Don't expect that. Don't. Don't, I shouldn't have even thrown that out. Don't don't expect that. That was that was just as needed situation. That won't happen. That was the first time I think in his career where he had significant minutes at point guard. That won't happen in Milwaukee. If if it does, the Bucks are probably in big trouble. He'll mostly stick with playing the two or the three. And I think it's safe to say that he will be the starting shooting guard. Whether or not he closes games is a whole different story, and I think that'll be more fluid. We'll get into that a little bit more when we're talking about George Hill at the end, but he will at least probably be the starter at shooting guard as well. All right, so his weaknesses. His biggest weakness is that questionable decision-making at times. I had referenced the questionable shots from the outside, and I think that's definitely something to keep an eye on um and I think it spreads 
to not just uh, taking those questionable three-point shots, but his driving and his decision-making while he's driving. I think that's something to keep an eye on. In Indiana, he kind of struggled with that. You know, his turnover percentage with the Pacers, and given it was only 23 games, but his turnover percentage was at 12.2%, which is the second highest in his career and which ranks in the 28th percentile among wings, according to Cleaning the Glass. So that's something to keep an eye on. Is that a trend? Usually, you know, he's been pretty good at taking care of the ball. Those turnover percentage, uh, that turnover percentage has continued to creep up here in the last four seasons. So we'll see what it does this year. But I think just that decision making, you know, as he's getting a little older, he's losing a little bit of that athleticism. And I think it's maybe taken him some time to adjust to see what he can and cannot do anymore. Um, and so we'll see what that looks like. The Bucks with their five out offense, he should have a little bit more room to drive, but we'll see if he can get to that basket or if he'll have to rely on kickouts or uh, other methods like floaters, other creative ways like that to score once he gets inside the paint or close to the paint. But I think just to keep an eye on that weakness of his decision-making, his shot selection, his drives, and will that take away from someone like Giannis? You know, the Bucks have been fortunate enough to have a team full of players who are unselfish and that keeps the ball moving and it keeps really Giannis in that in that groove and doesn't take shots away from him. I know a lot of fans in the past have called for you know, a player who can be more, who can create more shots, but that also comes at the expense of Giannis as well. So just something to keep an eye on with that. I think he'll play mostly within his role. It won't be a huge issue, but something that might pop up from time to time. I think another weakness is, or something to look at is his athleticism. You know, he's lost a lot of athleticism from his previous injuries. He'll still try hard on defense, but will that take another step back this year? You know, it's really been evident that he's not the same player athletically he was earlier in his career. And those injuries have definitely sapped him of that. And so just a weakness to see how that plays out at 33 years old. Moving on to his best case scenario. So best case for... Wes Matthews is he starts at that two. He brings that extra toughness to the Bucks lineup. You know, that grit that really just makes them, they're already the elite defense or one of the elite defenses in the NBA last year, but now he just gives them that extra grittiness, that extra toughness and savviness. There's that word again about what, you know, just defensively, it's a grind every possession for the opposing team. Um, and I think that's really something to keep an eye on. In the past, he's had to play north of 30 minutes, and I think that has also kind of taken a little bit away from him. And so best case for Matthews is that that drops to like 25 to 28. You know, the Bucks have enough depth, especially in the regular season, where he shouldn't be needed to play 30 or more minutes on a nightly basis. And so if they can drop that to 25 to 28, he can hopefully be more more um, efficient with that time and you know he can do more in that limited amount of time and so I think that's really best case for him he won't have to tax himself so much he can really just 25 to 28 minutes concentrate on working hard playing well and then he'll get plenty of time to rest on the bench I think another best case scenario for Matthews is that he hits 38 to 39 percent of his threes um, and he attempts seven per 36 minutes I think that would be great that would really help replace some of that Brogdon uh, three-point shooting and more because he'd be almost doubling those attempts. Not quite, but he'd be adding a significant amount uh, to the Bucks' attempts. And so I think that would be huge. If he can do 38 to 39% of his threes on seven attempts per 36 minutes, great, perfect, awesome. 
also, you know, limit his drives and his turnovers on the drives. I shouldn't say limit his drives, but limit the turnovers on the drives. Obviously, if those driving opportunities are there, he should take full advantage. I think that's one thing Milwaukee will miss a lot from Brogdon is that ability to get to the bucket and get those high uh, quality shots and those high percentage shots around the rim. Matthews necessarily won't necessarily be able to do that at the same rate that Brogdon did, but if he can limit those turnovers on the drives, we talked about that like in Indiana, I think it'll be a little bit easier. You know, the lanes will be more open. He'll be getting, you know, the second best perimeter defender usually when he's on the floor with Middleton. So he won't have elite perimeter defenders uh, guarding him. Not like that was always the case in the past, but I think, you know, if he can limit those turnovers on the drive and then defensively, just continue to work hard, just, you know, be gritty, be tough, stay engaged, communicate with his teammates, and really just bring that extra communication. He's not going to be a guy, you know, we saw Brogdon guarding uh, Kawhi Leonard um, a lot in the Eastern Conference Finals, especially when Middleton wasn't on the floor. Wes Matthews might not necessarily be that guy. That might be more Sterling Brown if he's up to the challenge, but Matthews can still grind with, you know, the the lesser offensive players and make them work. You know, there will definitely be times, like if the Bucks. Uh, play the Clippers where he might have to guard Kawhi Leonard or Paul George or if they have other matchups like that but I think just working hard on defense and staying engaged will be huge lastly for Wes Matthews is his worst case scenario At, at the top of this list I have that he really just tries to do too much he really feels that pressure like he has to come in and replace everything Milwaukee lost in this 40 50 90 guy in Brogdon and he really tries to do too much he's trying to force his shot he's trying to force himself to the rim and it just ends in a bunch of um, bad plays or turnovers or bad shots and so you know he really just tries to be Brogdon when that's not Wesley Matthews game anymore so I think that's the worst case scenario for him is he just presses he doesn't let the game come to him you know the Bucks offense they do a great job of just allowing the game to come to them whatever you know moving the ball around the perimeter whoever is open whatever that looks like just allowing that guy to take their chance um and so really worst case is that he he presses um and these too many drives they create a lot of unnecessary turnover and and really he ruins that flow of the bucks offense Another part of his worst case scenario would be that his three point percentage drops to 34 to 35 percent. You know, that's a huge discrepancy from the 37 or 38 percent that he's at for his career. So I think that would be a worst case is that that percentage takes a, a dip, um, you know, and really takes a step back. And also talking about st- taking a step back is that he loses another step athletically and isn't able to play that tough defense that he has in the past. And then he becomes a huge liability on that end of the floor. You know, the Bucks aren't counting on him to be a savior. Obviously, they have the elite defense, but they are they are requiring him or asking him to be a, an average defender. And if he loses that that step, that'll be really hard to, you know, be an average defender like Milwaukee is asking him to be. All right, now it's time to move on to George Hill. Hill was technically waived by the Bucks this offseason before agreeing to a three-year, $29 million deal. However, it's more like a two-year, $20 million contract given the last year's only partially guaranteed for, I think, about like $1.2 million. And so well, that'll be interesting to see how this contract plays out. And last year is really the tale of two hills in Milwaukee. You know, he struggled mightily once he arrived in December from that trade with the Cavaliers, and he struggled all the way into the end of February. 
Once March began, he was a whole new player. He thrived down the stretch of the regular season and, you know, in that March and April, and then carried that carried over to the playoffs. So that was just huge. And the biggest question mark will be, which version of Hill will we see this year? And that makes it really hard for me to evaluate because we really saw two complete opposites. So I'll do my best as we work through these categories to break it down, but it really just depends on what version we're looking at. So strengths, he's a gritty defender. He still has enough juice, at least in those later months, to move laterally and then uses long arms to disrupt the offense. You know, he has a, a, a huge wingspan given his size, and that's really evident when he's able to move his feet on defense. He puts his arm out, out there, tips a lot of passes, you know, gets in a lot of those passing lanes. Um, and so I think that's really one of his biggest strengths and that ability to defend point guards and shooting guards. You know, he can go back and forth and he can play both of those positions on the offensive end of the court as well. That was, you know, really evident last year. He sometimes spent time at point guard and in, in replace or in place of Bledsoe and other times he you could play next to Bledsoe so I think that's another strength is you know you can either you can put him next to Wes Matthews in the backcourt Dante DiVincenzo Pat Connaughton Eric Bledsoe Sterling Brown really any of those guys he can play next to anybody on the Bucks roster as far as their backcourt options go and he's a very smart player on both ends of the court he's been around the game for a long time and so he really understands how to read defenses and how to communicate with his team on defense and so that 11 years of NBA experience you know he's really a smart player he has survived in the league this long for a lot of reasons and that basketball IQ is definitely one of them. And my favorite word, the word of the day, savviness. You know, he maybe doesn't have as enough or as much savviness as Wes Matthews. His maybe I would more uh, categorize it as basketball IQ, but he still understands, you know, how to make those smart plays. So I think that's another strength. And historically, another strength he has is his three-point shooting. You know, he struggled from downtown for most of last year, but if we look at his larger body of work, you know, his career average from behind the arc is 37.8%. And so even though he only made 28% of his threes in Milwaukee last year, he's coming off a 2017-18 season where he made 41% and a 2016-17 season where he made 40.3% and a 2015-16 season where he made 40.8%. So long story short, before last year, he made 40% or more the previous three seasons. So I'm going to put that as a strength. We'll hope he gets back to it. You know, he found his shot down the stretch and in the playoffs. So I think that's definitely something that we can count on as of now. Also, he's a surprisingly good finisher around the rim, especially once he got his legs back. You know, he has some explosiveness. He can use those arms to really, you know, create extra space for him from uh, big guys around the hoop. And so that shooting accuracy around the rim is huge in Milwaukee. He finished 65% of his shots around the rim, which is in the 96th percentile among combo guards, according to Cleaning the Glass. And and that's not an anomaly for him. You know, throughout his career, he's been very good at finishing around the hoop. So I think that's something that we can definitely put in his strengths category. And the last thing I have is that he can play off ball and space the floor for Giannis. The Bucks like to initiate their offense through Giannis and 
I'm kind of guessing they'll do a little bit more of that, especially in crunch time this season, because that was kind of that's kind of the one weakness that Giannis has is sometimes he struggles to create his own offense in the half quarter when the games are tight and close. And so Hill is a player that that can play off ball and that the defense has to respect from the three point line. You know, with Bledsoe, that's not necessarily the case, but Hill can play off the ball, help space the floor for Giannis or for Middleton. And he was a closer uh, a good amount of the time last year because of that reason weaknesses ah so it's it's hard because it just depends on what version you pick I think you know as far as a weakness goes his age and injury history might have caught up to him a bit he hasn't had any major major injuries but it's been you know just a steady career you know 11 years and maybe that's caught up to him and it certainly seemed to affect him last year I don't know if it was injuries or what but he just didn't have his normal athleticism when he first came to Milwaukee and so how will that play over into this year it'll be a long year it's gonna feel folks it's gonna feel like a long drawn out regular season because Milwaukee kind of took this weird leap from you know, the regular season meant everything, and then the playoffs, if they got there, they would be quickly taken care of. But now, they're this elite team that has unfinished business in the playoffs, and the regular season doesn't really matter as much. And so, how will that play over for Hill and for these other veterans? They're like, like they might not be good enough just to coast. Maybe they are to coast to a one or two seed, but if they want home court advantage, you know, the 76ers are an elite team, and Milwaukee's going to have to compete with them. So, how will that how will this long season play out for George Hill is, you know, a question mark that I, a question that I'm asking. Um, you know, I think another weakness for Hill is he's not necessarily the shot creator you'd want out of the point guard position. Some of that's nullified with guys like Giannis and Middleton on the floor. But now that you take away Brogdon, who you could put next to Hill and who Brogdon, who could make up for some of that lack of shot creation, you know, it's, Hill Hill just can't create that look for others like Bledsoe can or like your more traditional point guard. Um, and so, you know, I think that might be a bit of a weakness in his game. He has other areas for sure that he makes up for it in. But as for now, you know, that's a weakness. And, and anything else in this category, I mean, I think you could put threes in there because of how much he struggled for three months in Milwaukee. But I put that in strength, so I can't do it in both. But I think there's just, we'll have to see what version we get. If we get the December to February version, a lot of stuff would fit in this category. If we get the March, April, May, June version, eh, this might be it. All right, so best case scenario, he plays like postseason Hill. Playoff George, that's how he plays. You know, he knocks down threes at a consistent rate. He spreads the floor. He makes it difficult for teams to to box off the paint and to keep Giannis from going there. You know, if they're going to box off the paint with Hill's defender, he makes them pay and he really hits those threes at that consistent 37, 38 point percentage, or even maybe he gets back to the 40% like he was the last three years. That would be amazing. If he can get back to knocking down threes at a 40% clip, that would be awesome. You know, I think best case is he can play on ball and off ball, depending on the matchup. He can come in and play in for Hill or for uh, Bledsoe, excuse me. He can play in for Wes Matthews. You know, I think that's really something that, Best case for George Hill is that he can close games either at point guard 
or at shooting guard, which gives them a lot of options because Bledsoe is so inconsistent. He's so all over the place. And so if he's having an off night, boom, put George Hill in at point guard to close the games. If Wes Matthews isn't playing the best and Bledsoe's having one of his great games, boom, you can put Hill in at shooting guard and really space the floor just as much So and not lose so much defensively as well. So I think that's the best case scenario for Hill. Also that he can still defend ones and twos, which like I said, will allow him to close at either position and that you know we'll see how he at this time you know with his age and stuff it's really it could go downhill quickly it could go downhill slowly he might maintain it's really a bunch of different factors that we really don't know and so we'll see how this all plays out but I think that would be you know best case is he doesn't take a huge step backward at this point um, and his defense continues to be above average to good and he can be that great one-two punch with any of the number guys in the backcourt on the Bucks roster. Lastly the worst case scenario worst case is that he does take that step back because of his age and he does lose some athleticism. He loses some of that lateral quickness, that burst that we saw at the end of the year. But this time he loses it for the whole season. I think, you know, if the Bucks had the version of George Hill from December to February, he probably it probably would be very difficult to play him in the postseason, especially once you get to the conference finals or the semifinals. Like that's just a hard version of George Hill to play. So worst case scenario is this long season takes a toll on him and he's not able to regain his rhythm this time around. He isn't able to defend quicker point guards or stronger twos, which really makes him limited on uh, just defending average point guards. And um, that would really, you know, if he is stuck to one position or one and a half positions, that would really make it difficult for him and would really take a lot take away a lot of his best assets to this Bucks team. And he can't knock down threes consistently. I think that's the worst case scenario. Again, I'm not saying that this stuff will happen. I'm just saying that this is worst case scenario for Hill is that he proves to be that 28% three-point shooter that we saw with the Bucks in the regular season. So I think that would be a huge step back because, you know, the Bucks just can't afford any more non-shooters. There's potentially potentially a uh, game plan out there to slow down Giannis and that includes just basically ignoring not ignoring but not paying as much attention to all the shooters on the floor that the Bucks have out there and forcing the shooters to beat them instead of Giannis so really worst case scenario for Hill is that he can't knock down threes consistently well, that's all that I have for you today, folks. Thanks for tuning in, and don't forget, you can follow me on Twitter at Bucks Film Room. I hope to catch you next time. <laughs>